and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing at. Anybody want to guess? Anybody want to guess? 12.45 a.m. on Wednesday morning. A little bit better than uh, 4 a.m. the other day. Jackson just told us that he was up till 7.30 putting that together. <laughs> and he had a meeting at 9.45. And his bosses were like, uh, come on, Jackson, 9.45. We said 9.45. <laughs> just kidding. Joining me from Naples, Florida, staying up late with me, Bobby Marks, our front office insider. Hello, Brian. How are you? I got to write the Suns offseason article during that game, so I, <laughs> I was productive. <laughs> yeah, uh, you had the Warriors offseason article, I think I saw in my email the other day. It's still uh, sitting in the hopper. Yep. <laughs> okay. And joining us from Seattle, it's Kevin Pelton, the machine. Yeah, we'll see if that uh, the tone is any different depending on how many rounds there are between when you wrote that and when you publish it. I'll tell you what, no though. You, there's one article that's going to need a rewrite is the uh, Miami Heat offseason <laughs> article. <laughs> no kidding. Holy Moses. Okay, so guys, you know LeBron has played against Steph and the Warriors. Um, this is now the fifth time uh, they've played each other in the playoffs. It's the first time he's ever actually been ahead other than in 2016 when he, when he won game seven with the Cavs because the Warriors always played from ahead and the Lakers got this one. And, you know, as the game came down, I, I sort of was telling myself that they had to get it because it was an, it was an odd game. Um, I, I like to say there's no such thing as weird games. Um, there's only NBA games because uh, I hear people talk all the time like, oh, that was a weird game. And I go, no, it was an NBA game. NBA games are like that, but this one I think qualifies. And that's because our folks at ESPN stats and info tell us this is the first game in NBA history. How often Pelton do you hear something like that being said in 2023? That's pretty um, rare. I mean, maybe first game in playoff history, maybe first game this season, but all of NBA history is a long time. Yeah. And sometimes though, and we have a couple of stats that go back to like the nineties or the seventies, but this time, the first game in NBA history where one team made 15 more three-pointers than the other and the other team made 20 more free throws. Talk about contrasting styles, Bobby. This game to me felt like, you know, um, there's cliche that, it, that a game feels like a heavyweight fight. And, you know, they say, I don't know anything about boxing, but they say, you know, styles make fights. This was styles make fights, heavyweight fight action in this game. Well, and, and if you if you go by that analogy, I mean, Golden State was down in the cards and basically threw haymakers in round like nine going into 10 to, to tie the game and um, and had a, a, certainly a, you know, a chance. I mean, Andrew Wiggins basically grabbed four offensive rebounds and Golden State missed, I think, three threes on that. And I think, yeah, I mean, the, their difference is that um, free throws for, for, um, for the Lakers. And basically it was like a fortress guarding the, the paint. I mean, not basically everything from golden state came from the, on the, on the perimeter, not Lakers. I mean, the Warriors couldn't get anything at all around the rim. Um, even the, the Curry patented floaters were, you know, were re rejected here. And, um, I think for, for Lakers, like game one is the game you steal, right? Like that's the game, like a team who just like a golden state team that just played, Sunday afternoon, Lakers last played Friday night. Um, who knows if, you know, from a rest standpoint, but th this is the game, you know, you, you lose this and who knows what happens, but you're up, as you said, you're up one Oh, and man, you got to feel pretty good about yourself. So a couple more stats here. 
So Anthony Davis, okay. Anthony Davis was absolutely spectacular in this game. This is, you know, he's kind of in trouble now because, um, you know, this is what people want to see out of him. Maybe not these statistics, but dominating interior presence. And he was a dominating interior presence. 30 points, 23 rebounds, five assists, and four blocks. Okay. LeBron had, let's see, let me pull up the final box score because I didn't see it. LeBron didn't shoot the ball well. He had a, uh, actually, I don't, they don't have the final box score up on the NBA. Um, I think he had like 23. Yeah, 29 uh, to 24 from the field, 22 points. One of eight from three. 20, yeah. 20, yeah, 20. Well, that's not a surprise. Uh, 22 points, um, 11 rebounds, five assists, uh, three blocks. Um, but here's the stat I'm trying to get to. Uh, the first time teammates have gone, have two teammates have gone for at least 20, 10, and five with three blocks in the same playoff game since blocks were first tracked in 73, 74. So what you basically had there is the explanation for how one team played all through the interior and one team th- played through all through the perimeter. It was absolutely a complete interior-focused domination by the Lakers. And the other thing, Pelton, you know, these stats are just so crazy. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, the first trio in NBA history. Again, first in NBA history to all have six, at least six threes in a game. I mean, we, we could go on. I mean, the, the first half, the, 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 the Warriors made nine more threes than the Lakers. That's a 36-point advantage on, on, um, on three-pointers. Uh, I remember I had this friend in college, and we would play NBA Live, uh, NBA Live 96, um, and he would – put everybody he would put all five guards in and i would put all five forwards in and i was a stick in the mud and he i guess was progressive i thought he was a stupid dude but he was progressive and he would shoot threes every time down and i would shoot layups every time down because i had big guys and you know what i would say pelton is that those games that we would play there may have been some wagering there may have been some cursing um i'm i may have broken um a a super Nintendo controller at one point and then had to go to Best Buy and purchase a replacement for my roommate. That those that might have happened. But that that was kind of what this game was. One team shooting a bunch of twos, one team shooting shooting a bunch of threes, and old school one out. Yeah, I mean, it kind of what you're describing, and, and maybe this game reminds me that uh, Don Nelson always said that the inspiration for his small ball was that the Celtics would sometimes scrimmage when he was playing for them. It would be Red Auerbach would put the guards against the bigs, and he felt like the guards always won. In this case, though, it was uh, the revenge of the bigs. And two more stats. So I know we've thrown a lot out there already. But I, I to, keep going to talk about the paint domination. Uh, number one, the the Warriors shot. 14 of 35, 40% on shots in the paint tonight that tied for the fifth lowest in any game this season. And obviously Anthony Davis, the single biggest factor and the 35 is not a very large attempt number because he was also a deterrent. It wasn't just that the Warriors were missing in the paint. It's also that they were just refusing to shoot there anyway. But uh, also in terms of how remarkable it was that the Lakers won this game, the negative 15 Differential in terms of threes ties the most ever for a team that has won a playoff game. The uh, Bucks did it to the Heat in Game One of their series back in 2021, their first round series that the Bucks swept. 
Man, Bobby, what I'm thinking as I'm watching this game, so AD didn't come out in the second half and was <laughs> lumbering up and down the court, although he still made a couple of plays late. Um, LeBron, again, he came into this six of 36 on threes in the last series, goes one of eight. Um, he's just he's just no shot. The, the Warriors are starting to back off of him. He's going to get the Dylan Brooks treatment pretty soon. Um, he's lumbering around out there. Um, I suspected that the Lakers would try to slow the game down because even though they're a high possession team in the regular season, I felt that sort of slower and pounding favored them because it slow would slow the Warriors down. I I gotta say, like their Lakers are up 1-0, and you gotta credit them for sure. I mean, second series in a row, they go on the road and um and win game one. Um, but I don't, you know, a game every other day, I don't know if they can they can keep playing this way and win three more times. Well, the pace, I mean, I mean, especially when they got went up 14, I think it was what 112.98, and Golden State went small where they put Draymond at the five, they took Looney out. I mean, that was like, you know, basically being at like the Indy 500, right? I mean, like, I don't, I don't know if they can, st- if, if Golden State goes to that lineup, I mean, maybe it was just because of the situation here, but that's, I mean, that's the lineup that's going to get up and down here. And, um, you know, it's funny, like I'm, I'm watching the game and, and the, the, the one thing that stood out for me and I'm like looking, going all the way back to like February thinking like, the, the impact that Jared Vanderbilt had defensively and D'Angelo Russell making shots um, like you think like that's all they gave up. That's all they gave up was a first round pick, you know, for, yeah. for those two guys. And Beasley hasn't played at all and he's become a non-factor. And, and I'm thinking like, and this is no disrespect to Kyrie Irving, right? Like, I don't, I mean like, but I'm thinking Kyrie Irving when I'm watching this game, because things would be, I think would be a lot different with this Laker team right now. If, you know, Brooklyn had made the Kyrie Irving trade to the Lakers, let's say, for example, and 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 the Lakers don't have all these other parts to this. You know, it's basically it's 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 top heavy roster here, and um, you're just going through those different scenarios here, watching these guys. You know, the guys they acquired in the trade. You know, D'Angelo Russell made some big shots. I mean, the Vanderbilt, the Vanderbilt three in the corner, right? I mean, like, and then and his defense on on Curry for most of the game here. Um, those two guys you didn't have before the deadline and, and they, they contributed, you know, mightily. So Bobby, you mentioned the going small and, and how that changed the game, the, the pool party lineup. One of the things it did is it took Jared Vanderbilt off the court because, you know, the Lakers just weren't confident that he could keep up with that many little guys, even though that's primarily who he's defending out there. He's got the primary defensive assignment on Steph. And I think that pretty dramatically changed things offensively for the Warriors. And I, I think it has to be more than just, uh, you know, a kind of a gimmick or a desperation move because of the fact that they were trailing, you know, the Lakers will probably have a better plan for how to try to take advantage of that lack of size when they have the ball for game two. But I, I thought it was crucial for the Warriors the way that the Lakers were defending. The Lakers, I thought, came out with a much better game plan tonight. We're much better prepared to take advantage of the lack of shooting when the Warriors had both bigs on the court. And that pool and how well he played, that pool party lineup and how well he played sort of flipped that. So the, the post-game press conferences are going on right now. I'll be interested to see if there's any complaints about the free throw disparity. It's as big as you would normally ever see the Lakers 
25 of 29, the Warriors five of six. Um, one of the things that we talked about um, in other series this year, and I, um, when this has been the case in the Suns series, um, how much you know, getting up more shots, the Warriors got 106 shots up in this game. Now, it's going to be a little bit skewed because they basically were not fouled. So all of their shots basically counted. Whereas if you get fouled, it doesn't count as a shot attempt. Guys, there are 48 minutes in a game. That means they got 2.2 shots up per minute. Um, that's a pretty crazy rate. Um, but I'm wondering if I didn't, I mean, you know, I know that Draymond got furious at that one off ball foul that he got teed up on and then shoot on Ed Malloy for about 15 minutes. Um, I don't, I don't feel like it was that call. I think that was the, uh, the toothpaste, you know, no, I, that's I understand. I understand. Uh, but like, did you feel like, I mean, did you feel like there were, it was lopsidedly called. I, I didn't feel like that. I don't know. I don't have a rooting interest. So maybe I, maybe I missed it. I mean, I think we expected this coming into the series. I mean, you look at what the Lakers did in terms of their free throw differential during the regular season on the flip side, what the Warriors did that they almost never, you know, got to the line less frequently than any other team and fouled a lot over the course of the season. So it, it was kind of what you anticipated coming into the series, maybe not this extreme, in terms of 20, 29 to six, but you know, 25 to six in the competitive portion. But I, I don't think that the warrior, like if the warriors can stay within 10 free throw attempts of the Lakers, I feel like that's a good outcome for them. Well, and I think too, like, even when, even when they went small, I mean, I mean, Draymond basically, you know, did nothing. I mean, he basically was the facilitator here. It wasn't like he was, you know, down low. And I think everything that you know, everything that went in the paint was, was like, it felt like golden state was kind of shying away from contact um, or, you know, flopping to make it look like they got contact. I mean, LeBron, you know, I mean, on the other hand, you know, I mean, as, as you guys know, I mean, full steam ahead, right. I mean, right at the rim, same with Anthony Davis here. So, I mean, when you attempt 53 threes um, and you only take six free throws, I mean, there, you, there you go. I mean, that's, yeah, I think, I think you're right, Bobby, because there were, you know, there were a few plays where Warriors guys went in there and they ended up on the deck, but I'm not sure, you know, so, I mean, you could probably find a spot or two where the Lakers got away with a bump, but I didn't feel like it was egregious, but I'm sure there are Warriors fans uh, coming out of Jason or right now that feel completely differently. So we'll see if that becomes a storyline. I just don't know yet. And I'm certainly not waiting. Um, So. I, you know, I think one of the things, and Stan Van Gundy pointed this out on the broadcast, um, they really didn't, the Warriors really didn't seem like they, it seemed like Curry was off the ball a lot in this game. Um, I guess that was maybe part of their game plan, but, you know, they had Vanderbilt on him a lot and he's got size and they, for a while, had trouble getting the ball to Curry. Um, and then finally in the fourth quarter, um, they put the ball in his hands and he started going to work. So that's a, an adjustment I think that you'll see in the, uh, you know, in game two, for sure. Um, that with the curry with the ball in his hands more, but you know, Bobby, like the Lakers at this point, they were one of the best teams in the second half of the season. They took care of the Grizzlies, um, in less than seven, go up on the road. Like, you know, I, you know, 
we we sort of self-roasted ourselves for talking about the Lakers so much, but this is one of the reasons why we did because they knew they were capable of this. You know, seeing what you see tonight, you know, do you think they're capable of of pulling the upset again? Oh, I definitely do. I mean, it's just a matter of like, you know, the mystique of Golden State. I mean, I think Golden State showed us in the Sacramento series, you know, when they were down 2-0, never to count them out. But I think this, I think this Laker team is a lot different than Sacramento. Uh, I, I, you know, with, you know, certainly with, with how Davis has played and, um, you know, I think it's a, probably a little bit more, a little bit more balanced here, but I think we're starting to see, I mean, there's, you know, we're waiting for, well, was it, you know, just the second half of the season? Okay. You know, they played really well the second half. Of the season. Now you add, you know, the, you know, the Memphis series here. Now there's the body of work, you know, is starting to show that, this is a team that we, you know, if we haven't already should, you know, start considering as one of the Western conference heavyweights here. Yeah. Pelton, they, they, they got criticized because they beat a lot of teams that had injuries or whatever, including the Grizzlies. Well, there's a full power warriors team on their home floor at night. They certainly look like a top six roster in the Western conference. To me, <laughs> that, I would say that. I, I mean, might, yeah. I might've sent a text to McMahon and uh, bond temps. <laughs> Uh, at the end of the game that said top six roster. And I might've done that uh, over the weekend when they beat the Kings. I'm, I don't want to reveal anything that goes on in that text chain for many reasons, but um, I might've uh, said that again. I neither uh, confirmed nor denied. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the question right now is, you know, I mean, I think they're the favorites in the series at this point. I thought mm, it was close to a top toss up coming into this. I, I'm not sure. I, I go back, you know, Anthony Davis plays 44 minutes in game yeah. one with three days rest. I, I, you know, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, and I expect like one of the things I tweeted about earlier in the night in relation to the Knicks, who I'm sure we'll talk about at some point is it's now 14 consecutive wins in the playoffs when the home team loses game one in game two. So you have to kind of expect the Warriors to make this a 1-1 series. And then it's up to the Lakers to hold serve in the next two games at home to, or otherwise, you know, the Warriors are right back in a situation where they have home court and the Lakers suddenly have to win on the road and only have two chances to do it. So, you know, that's kind of the way that series play out when you, you have home court advantage. But I, I think there's two factors that are going to determine this. One is to what degree the Lakers can continue this level of effort now that it's going to move to an every other night series and they don't have the rest advantage that they earned by taking care of business against Memphis in six games. And then number two is going to be how much the Warriors kind of learn from this one, because the thing that I, I strongly considered Lakers in six as a pick, the thing that ultimately tilted me towards Warriors in seven was suspecting that they were going to be able to come up with a game plan to, as we've seen the Warriors do so many times in the playoffs, take advantage of Jared Vanderbilt's non-shooting, take advantage of D'Angelo Russell defensively, and make it difficult for Darvin Ham to play those guys. And again, with the exception of the last five minutes when Vanderbilt was out, that wasn't the case tonight. I don't I don't think we're in for many games like this because I just don't think they can they can first off, it's a unique game in NBA history. Secondly, I just don't think that the either team can keep up this pace. I just don't. And you know, Curry didn't have as high energy today throughout the game as he normally does. And who I get it because two days ago he sh- took shot, took shot uh, 38 times. So definitely be excited to talk about this one after uh, Thursday night um, when the Warriors tried to make it one, one more hoop collective podcast after this. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play. 
and boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay, so a home team that did make it 1-1 tonight, the Knicks. This is a, it's complicated to read this game because Jimmy Butler uh, obviously missed it. The Knicks were definitely playing like a desperate team. Now, I can easily just point out that Julius Randle did not play in game one. He played in game two, and he had 25, 12, and 8, and was plus 14. And that, that right there alone made a massive difference because instead of getting, you know, I don't remember what the boards were in the first game. I think that he won the boards, um, but it felt like they won the boards. Having Randall out there makes a huge swing. Um, the the Knicks pound the heat on the boards in this game, a very classic sort of Knicks style game um, where they get, you know, kill them on the second chance points and sort of control the tempo because they're so, they're so good at rebounding. And that's what happened here. And, it looks like Randall looks pretty good in that ankle. And I don't know when Jimmy Butler's ankle is going to be okay, Bobby, because um, I know there was a concept here that, you know, because they have the time off until Friday, right? They have two days off after this. Um, they play on Saturday. 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 Yeah. Saturday, Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Have, yeah. Right. Friday is, <laughs> I have to cover the game in Philly on Friday. I want to I better, better make sure I'm at that one. Um <laughs> So they get three days off. So it was sort of prudence when you're up 1-0 and you have three days off coming out that you can give Jimmy five days off. But I, I can't assume that Jimmy's going to be okay by Saturday. That looked like a pretty hellacious ankle turn to me. So Randall coming back and looking good, I think, is a huge... I mean, obviously, uh, Jalen Brunson played better in this game. He had 30. He had his own ankle issue. He had 30, and he sort of comes out as the headliner. But to me, Bobby, Julius Randall coming back and looking like this is a is a is just as important as Jimmy Butler's own ankle issue. No, you're right. I mean, to, to steal a hockey um, term, it felt like at the end of this game that New York was on a power play, right? Like you're just like Miami's yeah. trying to clear the zone, right? Like get the puck out of the, you know, out of the, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was like offensive rebound after it was like, you know, five, you know, and I think it might've been a one point game where basically there was multiple offensive rebounds here. And, yeah, I mean the size of Miami, which has kind of been a you know somewhat of a hindrance for most of the year, um, and Miami went small too. Um, they put Kevin Love in towards the end. Kevin had played for most of the game, but I mean they went with the the Vincent Lowry, Bam, Kale Martin, Duncan Robinson, and Duncan Robinson lineup, and yeah. and Matt and, and Max Struess had hurt his back, um, so they yeah. went they went really small here and. Miami shot making kept them in it, right? I mean, they were up six, and um, but I mean, they just got decimated on on the on the glass here, and you know the the 
the Randall size, the Robinson size, Hartenstein played really well. I thought, um, they just kind of were. Yeah. Thibodeau know. trusts Hartenstein, Hartenstein, I guess, to finish the games. He, it happens all the time. He, yeah. He's his finishing big man and he usually plays pretty well. Frankly, he's, he's, you know, it's a pretty good, um, he's a pretty good trust there and, and he splits the minutes and usually Hartenstein gets more minutes, but Robinson was also very effective, you know, he, but Robinson just fouls too much. So it's kind of hard to play more minutes, but well, and, and when, 48% um, foul shooting is tough in the stretch. Yeah. He kind of slings it or he kind of like flicks it. It's kind of, it's a weird, it's, it's, it's not a good looking shot. Not a lot of arc. And what New York did too, I mean, with, with Brunson, I mean, he hunted Duncan Robinson down. I mean, like he was like, they basically switched and he was looking for like, he's basically his eyes lit up, you know? I mean, he hit some big shots down, um, down the stretch here, but I mean, I mean, this Miami team is not going anywhere, you know, like, I mean, I know we don't know if Jimmy's going to play on Saturday or not, but still, man, like, I mean, this is going to be, they're going to go down swinging here. (laughs) You know, I mean, this is a, this is a uh, this is an extremely tough out, but I give you know certainly New York if if you know Randall stays if he's healthy, I mean that they can go down there and certainly they've proved it during the year they can go down there and split. You know, I mean, is Miami going to continue making a team that I think they ranked what like twenty fourth and or twenty fifth in three point percentage? I know they had a really good March um, they this had year, a really they, good first and, round, and first round. I mean, are they going to continue at this pace? I mean, that's the that's the the crazy part. I mean, today Body. it was really more about ahead, the volume Paul. that they got up 49 threes. And I think they kind of needed to do that <laughs> because I mean, they were able to manufacture some buckets and I think Eric Spolster deserves a lot of credit for the fact that they were able to stay in this game with as little shot creation as they had. And, you know, it was, you know, layups out of timeouts, a lot of back cuts, things like that were how they were able to score besides for making threes in this game. It, it felt a little, Celtics Sixers the Sixers e the night before in terms of the undermanned team obviously they didn't have a, a Jimmy Butler or a, a James Harden scoring forty five points the way that Philadelphia had the night before because it was a way more defensive game but it felt like that kind of like Knicks letting them hang around could cost them before they were able to pull away at the end and the way the yeah. Celtics weren't the Heat just stitch it all together I mean they just you know they their body count is crazy you know they're already down Hero and Oladipo. Uh, Jimmy Butler now is out. So that's three rotation players. And then Struess, who was having a good game, hurts his back on the second half. He came back, but he wasn't quite the same. And so they're down all these bodies and they're still, you know, they're still in it in the last minute. You know, they, you know, only had seven turnovers and they created 22 points off turnover. So that was a way they kind of closed the gap, you know, like they just, that's, that's how they operate. That's the, the, that's the tone that Eric Spolster sets every single day of the year. He sets it and I'm just, you know, I've been there and I've seen it. They walk the walk. They don't talk the talk and they walk the walk. They have expectations out of everybody on their roster. And those are that they're held accountable in July. They're held accountable in November. They're held accountable in May. That's just the way they operate. And you can see how they do it. But to me, I just don't see how they win the series unless Jimmy comes back. Uh, and I don't mean just comes back, you know, suits up, but like is, is back playing at that level. I just, I think it's, seeing Randall tonight, I just think advantage Knicks. Now I thought Jimmy was cooked last year when he hurt his knee in the conference finals. And like basically was able to give nothing uh, or next to nothing in games four and five. And I thought, okay, well that's a, that's going to be for the Celtics. And then he came back and had an absolutely jaw dropping six and seven. 
in the game six, one of the best performances I've ever seen in the playoffs in person. So, you know, I'm not counting him out at all for sure. Uh, he can do it, but I mean, you know, he, he's going to have to do it because the Knicks have a lot going for him. I mean, Josh Hart, he didn't have a good shooting night, but he had 14, 10 and 11 triple double. And, you know, just made number of hustle plays. RJ Barrett has played better over the last couple of games. They got, a, you know, they got a lot going for him. I don't know how you see it, Pelton. You, you just said you sort of lean Lakers. What do you lean here? I lean Knicks for the same reason you did. Uh, you do. Uh, I thought Knicks coming into this series, and you know the the way that the Heat was were able to defend them in Game One sort of made me start to second guess that. But this was kind of more what we expected, and obviously Randall just unlocks a lot of things, even if he doesn't necessarily provide quite as much shooting as Obi Toppin, but. You know the the shot creation that he offers, maybe a little more reliable defensively, which is an interesting thing to say about Julius Randle. Uh, if you think back to the the early stages of your, his career, and then just what Brunson was able to do, where he felt like he was playing in traffic the entire game one, and for him to be able to create some space with the, you know, with the the three point shooting off the dribble in this one, I, I think are the edges that you know if you believe in the Knicks, uh, are what made you believe in them in the first place before. Before Randall went to New York when he was with the um, Pelicans, uh, I had a high-level NBA executive tell me, he like, he's like, you just can't win with that guy on your team. He kills you so bad defensively. You, it's just, it's not a winning proposition. And, you know, when he signed that first contract with the Knicks, it was okay, but I think it was a pay cut, Bobby. Well, um, the last year wasn't even guaranteed. Right, right. <laughs> um, it ended up getting guaranteed. Uh, you know, like <laughs> I know this isn't like breaking news that Julius Randall is good, but like, um, Pelton is correct. Um, there was a time where you wouldn't think about talking about him as sort of a difference making player like this. You talk about difference making the other direction, which is why there's, you see guys who are still in their early to mid twenties. You don't, you know, it's dangerous to give up on him because look at what he has done. So he didn't even shoot the ball well tonight. He was eight of 18. Um, he missed some, some good looks, the threes. I mean, he, he can be better, um, than even than he was tonight. So, um, but I'm sure when the, when the uh, heat go home with some rest, um, Butler, notwithstanding, I think, you know, you'll see them play better. I think, you know, Lowry didn't play his best game tonight. Um, he can play better. Uh, so, um, we'll see there. So I want to talk a little bit about the game that I was at here in Boston, um, last night, I guess, uh, Monday night. And uh, setting up uh, game two uh, tonight, as in Wednesday night, Joel Embiid winning the MVP today. You know, we talk about the MVP all year long. We devote entire huge podcast to it. And then the day it's announced, we're like, oh, let's talk about these other games for a half hour first. Yeah, it's a regular season award. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys see the the footage um, that uh, of the Sixers put out on their social feeds about when Joel found out he won the award? I did. I mean, I, I, I was waiting for him to give a, a speech to thank Bontemps for the straw poll <laughs> to kind of, you know, you know, <laughs> well, I did. Uh, and I think that was like two years of emotions there, like tied into three years, kinda, yeah, three yeah. years into, yeah. into all that. Um, yeah, it was a good, it was a good well, moment. Well, Bontemps has a story to tell. I won't tell it for him, but he did. I think Embiid did run into him after the game. Now, granted, Embiid's in a very good mood at that point. And I think that Embiid might have asked Bontemps what he voted, where he voted. So I'll let Bontemps tell that story um, if he chooses to. But 
it was kind of awkward, which is kind of odd because the way that they had to announce this, the 76ers are on the road. And obviously there were preparations made. You know, the 76ers had to prepare to hold a press conference on Wednesday, which they are in Boston at the, it's, it's odd that they would, I, I don't remember them ever announcing an MVP when the, when the team is on the road, you know, last year, uh, Jokic, the nugget season was already over and Jokic was in Serbia and the nuggets knew that they had, he had won it and they snuck over and announced it. Um, remember like last year for the awards, they were doing this thing where they would have the players, teammates, like surprise them with it. Like you remember Jaw surprised or, uh, um, jaw like left the uh, six man of the year award at bane's house or bane gave it to jaw i don't remember what it was and um you know they would do it well now they're like surprising people i guess and so or like you know doing it this way and so like Embiid was pretty sure i think that he was going to win and the sixers were making plans but i honestly don't think that they really knew for sure until they um announced it on tv and that's why Embiid was so emotional when he saw it. And so it's very unusual that a team would be on the road in the playoffs when a player won the MVP. I don't know if that's ever happened before because it's always announced when the player is home. So as a result, the entire 76ers team was together. And it was kind of like a selection Sunday moment. They, got, they were in there in a ballroom at their hotel here tonight to watch <laughs> not i mean i'm sure they let them stay and watch the games if they wanted but they were in the ballroom to watch the mvp announcement and mb was sitting in the front row or you know by him kind of off by himself and <laughs> what would have happened if they said he's nikola Jokic? <laughs> <laughs> um but it's just awkward that he i mean uh bobby do you think red auerbach is rolling over in his grave that somebody uh is accepting an mvp award inside the TD garden. That's not a Celtic. I thought they could have, I know they announced that they were going to do it on, uh, on Tuesday, but I would have thought, you know, Hey, you're, you know, who's who won it. Why not just do it on Friday? <laughs> you know, do it in Friday because, down. because they needed to do it on TNT. Yeah. And, true. and they, and they couldn't do it like right before a game that Embiid was playing in. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, I mean, it, Obviously, I mean, somebody had to have been tipped that he was winning because you're not going to do all that. Yeah, that. <laughs> we were all pretty sure. We were all pretty sure. I mean, everybody had made their um, um, everybody had made their plans and everything. Like, there's extra personnel for the 76ers here. You know, I think Embiid's family and friends were in, but I still think there was. It was not like one thousand percent like super duper confirmed until the very end. Well, I mean, especially that. You know, I mean, I know, and it is a regular season award. I mean, how great Jokic just played in the playoffs too. So, yeah, I mean, the votes went in before the playoffs started here, and of course, I mean, when you don't, when 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 you've been close the last, you know, three years here, you always have that doubt, right? I mean, like you know, we can go straw polls all we want, and in you know, Vegas could say you're the favorite, but who knows? I mean, I know people were counting, but who knows? So LeBron uh, Jackson just told me I hadn't seen the results yet, but Jackson told me this was the first time in LeBron's career. He didn't get a single vote for MVP. And when I say single vote, not first place, but anything in the top five. Uh, and, you know, they, um, they had that, uh, they had that 
he had that run where he was in the top three for like a decade. <laughs> Pelton, um, the bond, I will say this, the bond temps poll wins again, correctly forecasting the uh, winner. Do you agree with the, uh, with the result? I was one of the, I think there was maybe a dozen or 15. I, I forget how, which was Giannis and which was Jokic. Uh, I was one of the Jokic voters for the third consecutive year. I, I talked about that on the low post at the end of the regular season, but you know, I do think from the sense of is, are both of these guys deserving and, you know, would it be a tough break for Embiid if he had not won an award and Jokic had kind of claimed all of these? Absolutely. I, I didn't personally factor that into my voting, but I think some people surely did. And I think, you know, that's, that's a reasonable thing to do because, you know, this is part of someone's historical legacy and Embiid hadn't gotten that level despite playing at an MVP caliber the last few years. Well, you know, I was a big advocate of Embiid for MVP last year and voted for him. And this year I voted for Giannis. So two years in a row, I voted for the guy that didn't win. Uh, was my vote wasted? I don't know. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. As for the game, Bobby, I felt like I was transported back to last year here in Boston when I attended so many Celtics games, particularly in Boston, where they kept losing games, where they would look so good for so long and then lost their focus. And I thought Doc Rivers outcoached Joe Missoula. It didn't come all down to coaching, but Doc's maneuvers at the end of the game, uh, Missoula's um, refusal to... Um, Double team Harden, who was like really the only serious offensive threat on the floor at the end. Um, several possessions that the Celtics ran where they just completely didn't have focus, including their last possession where, I mean, I don't think he drew the play up for Marcus Smart, but Marcus Smart broke the, I think broke the playoff. And, you know, when the player does that, you know, it's sort of on the coach for not setting the standard to, to not do that. Very much of a fumble by the Celtics, uh, Bobby, to not win that game without Embiid in a game where they made 14 of their first 15 shots and were still shooting like over 65% at the start of the third quarter. Well, yeah, I mean, it's almost like the Atlanta series. I mean, I think you can get away with it against the Hawks team when you blow game five without DeJounte Murray and, you know, have to hang on in, in a game six. I think it's, you know, there's kind of a pattern developed. I mean, if maybe the pattern already developed last year and, you know, in, in the Golden State, um, in the Golden State series here, but um, lack of focus, you know, certainly a different coach here. Um, you know, uh, Jalen Brown was 
you know, basically ineffective in the, in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, and you didn't adjust to, I mean, basically Harden was really the only guy, I mean, you know, certainly Tyrese Maxey had it played well, but Harden was the guy, if, if they were going to win, it was going to be based on, you know, you know, riding on, on Harden's shoulders here. And um, you're right. I mean, the play at the end, you know, certainly you could say that Marcus Smart, um, you know, broke that off, but you, you you can't lose a game one like that. Um, you know, that you can't lose a game one at home with uh, with Embiid on the sidelines. Yeah, as Bontemps highlighted in the low post, like they didn't lose it at the end. It was the fact that they let it get to the end and be that close was really the unacceptable part of it against, you know, a shorthanded Philly team that was struggling to the degree they were defensively. Uh, my buddy Mark Hobner uh, tweeted that it was the fifth consecutive Celtics underwhelming playoff series. And I do feel like it's a little different than last year because last year it was the focus element and the turnovers, as you mentioned, Bobby, but it wasn't the playing down to opponents to the yeah. degree because this was against good teams. Yeah. Miami in the conference finals was a yeah. good team. The Warriors were a good team. Not that the Sixers aren't even without Joel Embiid a good team, but there's still a team that you should take care of business against in that situation. And it's just kind of like, well, we're going to flip the switch at some point in the fourth quarter and figure things out. And that's a really they almost did. way to play. They almost, yeah, I mean, they almost yeah, they did. Almost yeah. did. The Sixers, by the way, didn't get a free throw until like nine minutes or maybe no one minute left. I think in the first half, I think was what it was. No, there was no free throws in the game in, in, until one minute left in the first half. And the, the Sixers didn't get their first free throw until midway through the third quarter. Um, it was the ultimate let them play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, you know, I, earlier we talked about, you know, um, weird analogies, um, you know, in about games, but you hear all the time, um, boy, this felt like a playoff game. You hear a regular season game that's particularly spirited and the crowds into it. You hear, Oh, that felt like a playoff game. This was the opposite. This felt like a regular season game. Um, there was almost no juice in the building. A few times they got into it. Um, this guy in front of me in Boston, um, uh, almost, you know, popped a blood vessel in his eye because he, he was standing up in the fourth quarter. There was six minutes to go. The Celtics are in the dogfight, and he was standing up, you know, trying to cheer. And one of the, <laughs> one of the ushers came over and asked him to sit down because he was blocking the view of, of his other, um, people behind him. And he screamed at the usher. It's a, <laughs> playoff game there's it's a fourth quarter of a playoff game you're telling me to sit down and yeah because nobody was standing up and i'm not it's not a commentary on the boston fans it's a commentary on the style of the game the game you know i think if anything you want to give a an excuse for or a reason why joel indeed's the most valuable player is joel Embiid not playing in the game made the game feel less than um but of course it wasn't um and you know the other thing is the Celtics kind of had that magic number last year or tragic number um, of 15 turnovers. They were 13 and two in the playoffs when they had uh, less than was it 15 or less or less than 15, something like that. And if they had 16 or whatever, they were two and um, or one and eight, including game six against the Warriors, where I think they had 22 at the very end. And the turnover where Tyrese Maxey got the, pick six interception touchdown, whatever you want to call it, um, was their 16th turnover. And they did get away with a couple of high turnover games in the last round against the Hawks. So it's, it's not quite that, but that it was like looking back in time on that. And I, Bobby, I got to tell you, 
I wrote a story about this. I don't know how it came off on television, but being in the arena bowl, when that play happened where Maxi got the pick six, it was a surreal moment because it was uh, it was a very frustrating possession for Celtics fans because the Celtics couldn't get anything done. They pump fake like four times. Brogdon throws the ball to Maxi, and then the shot clock buzzer goes off. <laughs> I watched the replay. I went frame by frame as much as I could. Maxi caught the ball with 0.1 seconds left on the shot clock. It was the correct application of the rule. But when the shot clock buzzer rang, the entire building relaxed. I think only one other player on the court even moved, and it was a member of the Celtics. I think it was Paul Reed maybe or somebody who started running. And he goes and scores. And I didn't comprehend that they counted the basket until they put it on the scoreboard. There was this incredibly important clutch basket that happened that changed the whole game with 28 seconds left where literally nobody in the arena reacted. And Maxi acting him like not understanding the reaction of the crowd and everybody else. He kind of turned around and looked behind him. And he told me after the game, he almost picked the ball up at the foul line. You know, it was, it was, you know, it was like a football game where you see like a, a ball. that's obviously not a fumble. Like, you know, it's like a screen pass and it's incomplete and the defensive lineman, like, you know, he was taught to play to the whistle or whatever. And so he picks it up and runs it, you know, 60 yards and everybody just watches him do it. And, you know, but everybody knows it's not a touchdown, but in this case it counted. And I think that entire play was indicative of the way the Celtics approached the fourth quarter. Well, it almost felt like the whole, like, it's one of those plays where like everyone froze, including the fans, right? It was just like, there was basically like, you know, 20,000 people froze except for one player who reacted to that. And yeah, and it almost, it, it, it had an, you know, certainly an impact on their next possession and like that play. And then like the one thing, and I, and I, I, I mentioned it, you know, the ability of Paul Reed to make four free throws in a row and not even like clanking it. Like, I mean, I was expecting at least one clank. The funny thing is too, is like, um, you know, people say like, you know, like we have, we're, we're sometimes against James Harden and say, well, you know, James Harden had a great game and all you're talking about is Paul Reed. Well, I'm talking about Paul Reed because basically he's a reserve and probably the, the biggest spot of his career. And basically we went all net. <laughs> on four on four free throws and basically and that's after i didn't see the play i i, I read that you know with doc rivers i guess pj tucker had chewed him out on um I, you know on a, a couple um boston offensive rebounds um that doc had said that it went to the extreme almost to the extreme in the huddle which you know for a young player like that you know to kind of keep his composure is is, is saying something Elton, did they show that on the broadcast? The huddle? Yeah, where PJ tore into tore into Paul Reed. I don't remember it. Also, I think okay. our standards for what the extreme is in a huddle have changed since the last day of the regular Fair. season. Fair <laughs> point. <That's true. laughs> um, so after the game, Doc's like, well, I'm sure all of America saw that in the huddle, but you know, PJ really ripped him a new one. And, you know, I was really mature of us to all move on from that. He like made a big deal of it. Like, because PJ was screaming at him about giving up rebounds. The Celtics got like three offensive rebounds and like two possessions. And, but America hadn't seen it. 
I mean, later on, the video came out on social and it probably would have anyway. But like, you know, Doc just assumed <laughs> that the broadcast showed it and it didn't. And so like when he said it, I was like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And I went on online and, and like looked on my phone. And I didn't see anybody talking about it. Doc kind of, I mean, Doc kind of outed what had happened. And um, so anyway, yeah. And, but okay. So Harden, before we go, Harden obviously was brilliant. Now, the one thing that I came away from after talking to the Sixers after the game was that they knew for days that Joel was not going to be able to play in game one. And let me just say that he is making progress. He's worked out the last two days. Today he had a, um, like a, I think a workout where he did some running. And I think if he feels okay on Wednesday after that workout, that they may seriously consider playing him. They also are up one Oh, with the potential of giving him two extra days rest and um, they need him for the series. So they may not, but um, I do think he is making progress, but they, anyway, they knew uh, Pelton for, um, you know, days, four or five days, Joel was not going to play in game one. And they had all this practice time and doc and the players said it, like they were able to like install some stuff in practice, particularly, you know, Harden had really struggled shooting um, in the paint and shooting two pointers um, against Brooklyn. I mean, it wasn't a hard series for them, but he didn't have a good uh, interior scoring series. And so they changed some stuff for him, like changed some of the angles of the screens they were setting and he also came in knowing that he was going to be, um, you know, Houston James, and um, it made a huge difference. I don't know whether you can count on it happening more than more than once. He had his career high, but um, in a strange way, you know. And again, Bobby, you mentioned this earlier about the Lakers earning their days off. The Sixers earned their days off, and they were able to use it to prepare for a game one without Embiid. And I actually kind of think Doc. Doc said that the practice that they had Saturday was like one of the best practices of the year. It's like, okay, we got to a good spot. We know what we're going to do. And I actually think Doc isn't 100%. Like, I think he's okay if he has to sit and beat for one more game because I think he likes the rhythm that they're in. And he'd rather stick with this rhythm and try to play with it again and make sure Joel is, is better with the extra couple of days as opposed to bringing Joel back early. Well, you look well, at yeah. the track record of Doc Rivers' teams in recent history. Like, they tend to play their best when they're undermanned. Like, yeah. you know, that's obviously, what the Celt- that's what someone from the yeah. Celtics told me. They were like, yeah. Doc simplifies his game plans and coaches his best games when he's got when he's got when he's missing guys. The other thing I'll say before turning it over to Bobby is like a lot of people said we saw Houston James Harden with that game, which in terms of the step back threes and some of the bursts, like the the play where he got to the bucket when kind of Jalen Brown was playing him to go to the middle and he was able to get to his right hand and get a layup. But also you mentioned the mid-range shooting and there was a bunch of those in this in that game, which we would never have seen from Harden in Houston. So That's it was true. kind of a, a unique performance from James Harden blending. So what That's he's true. done this season with what we saw in Houston. Well, and I just look at, I mean, you've, you've already stolen game one. I mean, you're basically dealing with house money going into game two, right? Similar kind of what Miami had in, in that, in New York, going into New York. And then, you know, after, you know, I mean, once, if he plays Friday, let's say, I mean, now you're playing basically every other day up until there's a little bit of a gap between game six and seven, which is a Thursday, Sunday, but like. 
I'd be surprised. I mean, even if he had a good workout that, I mean, you, you know, and they, if you, you know, worst came scenario, they come home tied one, one that you're saving him for that um, Friday because the turnover, cause you go Friday and then Sunday's a three thirty game. That's right. So it's a quick, it's a quick turnover there. Yeah. Which is why doc said, if it's 50, 50, we'll probably won't be 50, 50. We'll probably be don't hold, don't play him. But I do think he's made progress. So um, we'll see. Um, one thing I expect to see is more Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown started the game six of seven and then ended, ended the game with 10 shots, six of seven in the first quarter and ended the game with 10 shots. Um, Tatum had a big game, but he really, the shot imbalance was way in his favor. And yet down the stretch, the ball wasn't in his hands. So um, I expect to see Jalen Brown more involved in game two, but that now just like this Lakers series with, the road team winning we i think we're in for a long series and i also think and and miami new york and i also think that the minute load is going to be big in this series well the minute load being asked of you know those philly players you know add up you know and even the celtics players because he missoula's got one of the deepest teams in the league and he didn't use his bench and Tatum, I think barely came out in the second half and Tatum at the end of the game didn't have the same pop so we'll see. But uh, all right. Thank you for uh, staying up late with us, uh, guys. And um, we got a, we got some cracking series. We didn't get to the Suns series. They're taking a needed break. Suns Nuggets. I should say the Nuggets series. They're up 2-0. Uh, we'll get to that later. They're taking a break. McMahon, McMahon went home. So you know that you know McMahon's working hard when he goes home in the middle of the series. Just kidding. All right. Thank you for listening to the Collective Podcast. Thank you to Bobby. Thank you to Pelton. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you later this week. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.